you're in charge of the big red button. I know, you know this. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my vagina. This is Jesse Karen. And this is Rebecca Frank. And here we are again having our current historical, hysterical, and infuriating conversation about our lives as vagina having organisms. <laughs> All content made up on the spot, but probably researched. Just kidding, fools. It's definitely researched. What are we going to do today? What are we talking about? Oh, right. Uh, the Women's World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. That's what we're going to talk about. And they, then we're going to talk to Brie. Yeah. We're going to talk to Brie, who's a doula. But first, we're going to talk about the World Cup. It was fucking awesome. It was fucking dope. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really outside of gymnastics. I'm not a big sports fan. And to be honest, I didn't watch too much of it, but I did watch the final game. Mm-hmm. And it was really exciting. It was really exciting. Uh, the women's team has won four World Cups. Yeah, two in a row. And all of this while they're suing USA Soccer for unequal pay, mm-hmm. which is fucking trash. Mm-hmm. It not is that trash. they're suing, but that they're not being paid. Uh, yeah, because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the men haven't won any. I think the best that they did was in the 1930s. And that was the first, uh, that was when they started was 1930. And they placed third. Yeah. So they've played at every at the FIFA World Cup. Uh, they played in several of them with in several of the finals, but their best result occurred during their first appearance in at 1930. In 1930. Yeah. The women's the women's soccer team, they generate more money, mm-hmm. they have better ratings, mm-hmm. and they're paid how much less? Uh a lot less. <laughs> a lot less. I think Megan Rapino um mentioned that the prize money for the men's 2018 World Cup was four hundred million dollars and the women received thirty million this year. That's insane. Yeah, and that was, and I think that they increased it. They will, yeah. The president, I guess, said that he would double it um, for the next World Cup, but that's still like a huge dis. That's disproportionate on like mm-hmm. m- on a huge level. This is actually, I think, this is actually across almost all sports. So all of twenty-eight female players sued the U.S. Soccer Federation, including players dating back to two thousand fifteen. So I think Hope Solo is actually still in that lawsuit. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, they are alleging that they are paid less than the men and are provided with less support despite their consistent, consistent outstanding performance. Mm-hmm. So when the women won the 2015 World Cup, they were bringing in about $45 million. In fiscal year 2015, the men's team brought in $10.8 million. The men's and team- all they're asking for is equal pay. Honestly, I think it's interesting because they're not asking for more. No. <laughs> Considering that they are actually the better team. Anyone who has not read Sue Bird, who is Megan Rapinoe's girlfriend, if you haven't read her piece for the Players' Tribune called So the President Fucking Hates My Girlfriend, you should for sure read it. It's really good. We'll put it in the episode notes. (laughs) This is my charge to everybody. Do what you can. Do what you have to do. Step outside yourself. Be more. Be better. Be bigger than you've ever been before. If this team is any representation of what you can be, when you do that, please take this as an example. This group is incredible. We took so much on our shoulders to be here today, to celebrate with you today. And we did it with a smile. Hi, uh, we're interviewing Bree today, who has been a birth and postpartum doula for the last four and a half years while also doing other birth postpartum related things. Now she's in her first semester of nursing school and will be continuing school 
to get her doctorate in nurse midwifery and to become a licensed reproductive health nurse nurse practitioner. Yes, like sure as <laughs> sure shit do. Nerf. Nurse practitioner. Hi, how's it going? Hi. As a starting off point leads yeah. us into it, Kate suggested maybe we ask if you've had any funny stories. Ooh. I once was with a client whose baby birthed herself and it was badass and hilarious and no one was in the room her husband her family everyone was downstairs it was uh thankfully a doctor had just come in um like the baby just like knocked and walked out <laughs> see yeah I'm, I'm like imagining like <laughs> just like arms and pulling no so she uh she was super chill and super calm and her water broke um around 34 weeks so it was pretty early and mm-hmm. she had a tiny baby her ob came in to say hey so she put her her heels on the bed and put her knees in the air and spread her legs just a tiny bit and all of a sudden all of a sudden the OB said there's a baby here here. Um, (laughs) can you please go out into the hallway and yell that we need pediatricians because we have a 34 week old baby who's coming who's waving (laughs) wow and so I ran out into the hallway and was like hi hey hello um we need peds right now 34 week baby coming by herself saying hey we need peds her baby girl was totally fine on her chest and my client looked at me and said I didn't even push. What happened? Dear God. Amazing. It was amazing. It was one of my favorite stories to date. If it's so good. Only that's how baby all babies could be born. Why do they all have to be so difficult? (laughs) I imagine I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) We make it more difficult most of the time. Which we're gonna talk about. That's right. (laughs) Um, but before we get into that. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah. Who you are and why? Yeah. (laughs) So I... Why is you? (laughs) (laughs) I am a birth and postpartum doula. And I'm currently in nursing school working towards becoming a midwife as well. Um, I get asked all the time what the difference is between a doula and a midwife. Um, A midwife is someone who's a medical professional. Um, There are a few different ways to be a midwife. You can be a licensed practicing midwife or a nurse midwife. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm specifically working towards becoming a nurse midwife. Mm -hmm. And um, midwives midwives can see women or anyone who's pregnant or has a uterus throughout their entire pregnancy. They can provide well care, um, reproductive care, any type of that. They can write prescriptions and prescribe birth control in the state of New York and New Jersey. Um, that differs by state. Uh, doulas specifically see people when they're pregnant and help them prepare for birth. And so specifically when I work with clients, they hire me independently and I do a couple of prenatal visits with them and I get to know them and we figure out what they want like Mm -hmm. what kind of birth they want do they want to have an epidural do they want to avoid an epidural do they want to have a water birth um do they want a birth at a hospital most of the time when people hire me they already know who their care provider is and they already know what their options are um Sometimes I get people who call me the second they've peed on a stick and they know that they need a lot of help and they know (laughs) that they have a lot of questions and they know that it can be really tricky to find really good um, obstetric and prenatal care in Mm -hmm. the city, unfortunately. Um, And sometimes I get people who call at 38 weeks and say, Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. I don't know what to do when my provider is telling me all these things that make me really uncomfortable and I need Aww. help. Um, 
and I'm here for all of it. Um, and then when the, when I'm actually with them, I don't do anything medical at all whatsoever. So I'm purely um, support, emotional support, physical support, sometimes educational support as well. I like to say that I help create space in the room to help them make decisions when things get really difficult, which mm -hmm. sometimes happens. Nurses and care providers are amazing. Most of the time they do really incredible work, but they also do it every single day. It's mm -hmm. their job. And sometimes they forget, sometimes it's busy, that this is a human. A human. Yeah. And it's the most important moment in their life and one of the most vulnerable moments. So sometimes, especially when situations get a little hairy, mm -hmm. um, nurses and doctors will rush in and say, we need to do this and this has to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really easy for people to feel really bullied or rushed into that decision. So in moments like that, I am usually the one to kind of create a little bit more space by saying like, do you guys want to talk about that for a minute? Mm -hmm. Do you have questions? Can we figure it out? Um, slow it down. Slow it down. Yeah, you to can advocate for people. Right. For me personally, I felt like I had to be a midwife. I was really low on the power structure pole, you know, as a doula. Um, and because I am someone who's a lot more inclined to look at the medical side of things, I really like reading research and I really like studying. Yeah. <laughs> I've always been a really big studier. Yeah. Um, I started to notice that things that my clients were going through were things they didn't have to go through. And yeah. I would go home and cry to my amazing partner who doesn't really understand what I'm talking about most of the time about how sad it was that I couldn't help them. And that's what I was supposed to be there for. And I felt really powerless. Is it also like a, a level of how doulas are perceived? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it can be that too. There's no standard for doulas. Mm -hmm. So typically you take a week training course mm -hmm. and you learn how to support women or people who are pregnant, and you learn to see what labor looks like. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just got a little ragey. Keep yeah, going. <laughs> right. I didn't even you... have to look. I heard the. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. I, I know yeah. her. I know her mm -hmm's now. So I looked over and I saw that. I was like, "Yeah, I was expecting yeah. that." Face. What What do you feel ragey about? I feel ragey about the fact that what you're describing to me as the role of a doula is such a ridiculously important position in terms of you're you might be dealing with a first time parent or third or fourth time parent it doesn't even matter because every process every pregnancy childbirth and and postpartum is different mm -hmm. and uh and partners even i think and you know i'm never in the room so totally correct me but it's fucking scary you yeah. know there's a lot of blood there's a lot of pain there's a lot of decisions that need to be made I don't know that people, because the way that our medical system works and specifically our maternal care system works, I don't think that people are really informed about what that time is going to be like. So they don't right. know the importance of having a plan. And to think that, I mean, I think it's wonderful that there's a low barrier to entry um, in order to get people to be able to do this. But at the same time, I'm like, this is so fucking important. And to think that and I know that you said there are great professionals out there, but we have an entire birthing system that's created around the comfort of the doctor as yes. opposed to the comfort of the patient. And to think that there's not more of a process for this incredibly difficult role because and there's no set of standards for right. this the level of care makes me 
crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really hard. And I am a huge advocate for doulas as well. I think that everyone should have a doula, whether you have money or you don't have money or yeah. no matter how privileged you are, everyone deserves to have a doula. Yeah. Everyone deserves to be respected when they're giving birth. Mm. Everyone deserves that. Everyone should be afforded what we've sort of come to accept as a luxury. I think they're becoming a little bit more respected, but I think overall the perception has been like that's a hippy dippy thing right. to do. Totally. totally. And it kind of discounts what doulas offer. Right. Right. And there are And what the person who's having my baby deserves. Right. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And I mean, I started in 2014 mm -hmm. and even since then, it's insane. There are so many more doulas now yeah. in the New York City area than there were when I started, which is good and bad um, because doula training has also, in my opinion, become like a business as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I need to say a blanket statement of like a lot of this is my opinion and my perception. Sure. Thing. There's a, such a wide range of people, which is great because everyone everyone having a baby does not have the same personality, mm -hmm. you know? So it's really wonderful that there are many, many different kinds of doulas. But at the same time, it's difficult because I'm personally someone who is very into the medical aspect of things, even though I'm technically not supposed to. I chose to not to certify as mm -hmm. a doula because my certification papers said that I was not allowed to... I was not allowed to pay attention to the medical stuff. What? I was not allowed to know what the monitors meant. Why? Right. Because so doulas like are not medical professionals. We're not medically trained. We're not trained or informed by medical professionals at all. And I felt like that was really unfair to my clients. I felt like I was not serving them well Yeah. if I didn't know what the medical things meant. I mean, I have a follow-up comment and question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> comment first, which yeah. is... Why would you ever have someone sign a form to promise ignorance mm -hmm. in a way that would make them unable to do their job to right. their highest right. ability? Well, because our job is purely comfort and support. Right. But wouldn't I, I mean, I would assume that seeing the monitors and understanding what they meant would make you more able to explain to the pregnant woman in terms mm. um, that she might understand better. Right because you're you're there for your client. Right. Period. Right. That's it. So right. it seems like your ability to communicate with that person would be better because right. you have I didn't fart that was my heel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like medical professionals would frown upon that because they don't want you interfering. Right. Because you're the quote unquote emotional coach right. and not somebody who should interfere with the medical side of it, right. which is obviously ridiculous because mm -hmm. I, I would want somebody who is emotionally supportive, but also has some basic understanding of right. what is happening in the room so they can give me better advice. And when we do slow things right. down, um, it makes it less scary for the patient. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, and I'm only just finished my first semester of nursing school, so I'm not, um, but it is, I do see both sides and yeah. it is really hard because doulas don't have a standard of care. So you don't, as a labor and delivery nurse or as an obstetrician or a gynecologist or a midwife, you have no idea what the basis of knowledge your client's doula has. You mm -hmm. have no idea. And you may have a doula who doesn't know anything except how to support her client really well and tell her client she's doing 
a really great job. Yeah. And that is very helpful. That's very helpful. Um, simply just having someone in the room with you who's compassionate mm. shortens your labor. Mm -hmm. That's oh, something huh. that's been proven over and over and over again. Really? That's, yeah, it's it's very, it's very cool. So there are a lot of, I guess you could say like backups mm. to the idea that a doula does not need to understand the medical stuff and that that is not their lane. Mm -hmm. Because if you're there purely for comfort, if you're there to help someone not get an epidural, there's amazing, there are amazing massage techni techniques that you can use. You can use visualization and imagery and guided meditation and all of that stuff is really, really effective and completely not medical. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, how do you make space in the room for someone who doesn't, who may not fully understand what is physiologically happening? I think in so many ways, I think that the way that uh, people are treated during childbirth is it exists almost outside of what I would expect of the norms of care for other in other areas. I mm -hmm. think that um, women and specifically women of color receive less yeah. good care mm -hmm. and considering that this is something that happens to people with uteruses exclusively i think that that would put them into it puts them into a category of almost expecting less less right. good care and so it's it's like i i'm it's weird to me that in something which is the i think second most traumatic thing that a body can go through after a gunshot wound mm -hmm. that the idea of that you could be certified or not certified i would think that you know, on one hand, I'd think that we would want to have a level standard of care, right? You know, and on the on the other hand, it makes complete sense that that isn't there, right? Because of the way that women are treated by the medical field right. in general. I don't know, right? With mm -hmm. certification, it's hard again because there are. I've had very few clients ask if I am certified. And I never lie. I always say 100% that I am not certified. And here's exactly why I chose not to be certified. I don't believe that the standards for certification mean anything at mm -hmm. all. If I felt like there was, you had to take some sort of a test to prove the knowledge that you had, or if there were any sort of legitimacy to it, right. you know, right. it's so right. hard. It's yeah. so hard. And I don't want to sign a piece of paper saying that I can't do things that I want to do because I'm too honest. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too honest at the end of the day. That's what it comes to. I totally understand your decision not to. Yeah. I just, it's just mind it's crazy. blowing to me mm -hmm. that that is even a decision that's available to right. be made. Not to pivot, but I'm I'm so curious. Yeah. You you kind of started talking about it before, but yeah. um, the care that pregnant women or uterus having people yeah. receive doesn't always match the research right. or yeah so I right. wanted to hear more about that so there's something called um the evidence practice gap and Ooh. it's basically the gap between um evidence-based care and the care that people are actually receiving in hospitals the care that um is practiced mm -hmm. and evidence-based care is basically care that is that is completely to a T backed by clinical studies um, compared to practice, which is usually based on a wide variation of things from like medical opinion to um, clinical, clinical decision is a big thing. Um, and 
it comes down to in childbirth a lot of a lot of people will practice by saying I did this one thing with one patient and I thought it went well based on my own intuition so I'm going to keep doing it with all of my patients from here on out without the recognition that every single body is completely different every mind is completely different every baby is completely different um and there are things that go back to like the 30s and 40s and 50s that are still routine practice in childbirth, right? Can you imagine going, I hate comparing um, pregnancy and birth to a a sickness model like cancer, but I'm going to break that and do it right now. Um, (laughs) Because can you imagine going to the hospital for a cancer treatment that hasn't been changed since the 30s. It's yeah. it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. It's why crazy. isn't it being uh, why? So it takes <laughs> so it takes, <laughs> but why? <laughs> um researcher researchers have said that it takes an average of like 15 to 20 years to put something evidence-based into practice. Right. Okay, that's still and a like lot of people for 15 <laughs> yeah well, right years. Or 15, <laughs> um, there are so many things that there are so many things that fall into this and we could talk about it for 17 hours and mm-hmm. still not get to all of it right um so i want to plug another podcast if that's cool yes, yeah. please. um there is a podcast called evidence-based birth by Rebecca Decker. She has a whole website <laughs> as awesome well. Rebecca's out there. Uh, look at that. <laughs> I thought That's you a good name. Um, <laughs> I know, me too. So Rebecca Decker um, has a whole bunch of letters after her name. She has many, many accomplishments. Um, she's truly wonderful. And she has created this kind of evidence-based world that explains very, very well what evidence-based care is, how to find a provider who practices evidence-based care. And she also has um, a really well-crafted website where you can easily search any specific thing that you're perceiving to be a problem in your pregnancy, whether it's like you're afraid of having a really big baby or you're afraid of having a C-section <laughs> or you're afraid, afraid of, of being induced yeah. or anything. Those are any anything like that. She organizes tons of evidence for you wow. so that you don't have to do it yourself because that's the biggest thing is mm-hmm. like we forget that we're consumers mm-hmm. of healthcare. We're mm-hmm. consumers. We Ugh. are paying these people. We're customers. Mm-hmm. So much money. So much money. <laughs> we're paying these people so much money, but then we're forgetting to ask questions. You don't go to mm-hmm. a butcher. You don't go to a butcher and just say, "Oh, give me whatever." No, I'll well, do what I'll take whatever you say. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you do. <laughs> well, maybe it depends on your butcher. <laughs> just kidding. But like, why? Why do we go into the hospital when we're having a baby and say, do whatever you think is best for my body and my baby that are completely different than the all of the other people having a baby today? Mm -hmm. Disempowerment of the population in terms of medical knowledge, the intentional disempowerment of the population is insane. It's truly crazy. And so back to um back to the original question, which was why hasn't it changed over 50 years? Um And a lot of it comes down to 
hospitals limiting what their providers can do. Yeah. Um, Is that because of liabilities? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So policies at hospitals are largely created by liability insurance and mm. there could be a 1% chance that something could go wrong yeah. and policies will cater to prevent that 1% chance that something could go wrong. Aren't more things going wrong because we're not advancing it? So like, yes. what does that mean? And like, is it just because it's like grandfathered in that that's like acceptable in some way? Right. Well, so it comes down to there are different models of care, right? So ages and ages and ages ago, babies were born with midwives, right? Mm -hmm. And obstetricians came in, obstetricians, men went to medical school and became obstetricians mm -hmm. and decided that they were going to be the authorities on um, childbirth. Right, of course, because that, um, that makes because sense. Because men need to be the authorities yeah. on everything we yeah, do. Duh. Specifically um, things they can't do. Right, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> they should totally be in charge. Yeah. And they can have babies, go for it. Right, <laughs> yeah, please right. do it. <laughs> we would have died out a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> we would not be here. Um, and so, and there were, if you follow the history of midwifery is very interesting, specifically midwifery in America. You can literally see obstetricians creating smear campaigns and saying that all midwives were drunks. Oh my God, I want to see that right, stuff so badly. Right. It's amazing. Google. Yeah, I'm going you to Google that. You can find a lot of amazing stuff. Midwives well, that's where the perception came drunks. from. It's crazy. It's crazy. And so there's the there's the idea that like midwives are less qualified because women couldn't go to fucking am i allowed to curse yeah, yeah. okay Fuck women yes. couldn't go to fucking school <laughs> mm -hmm. and also they didn't need to yeah they didn't right. need to like there are so many kick-ass like black granny midwives yeah. who have such a wealth of knowledge that was stolen from yeah. them by white men. Like, it's literally the same with every single... Yes. All of our history is yeah. the fucking same. We know this. But it's so insane that birth was taken from the people giving birth. Yeah. Over and over and over again. And it's still happening. And worse, we've been taught to be afraid of our own bodies. Mm -hmm. We've been taught that birth is some horrible, dangerous, scary event when that's not true. We've been taught that we like need surgical, surgical intervention. We've been taught that we need medicinal mm -hmm. intervention. Mm -hmm. And the world, I mean, the World Health Organization who's pretty good generally with their statistics and, um, and really non-biased and things like that. They have said that our cesarean section goal should be about 10%. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of literature that suggests um, the actual medical necessity could be even lower. Um, but they've said that 10% it seems like a pretty good international goal. Dare I ask you what the rate in the United States is? Um, the it's rate, it's yeah. bad. Um, the rate in, I don't remember the rate for the overall United States. I'm sorry, no, but, okay. um, in New York, it's around 33% in New York city. It's around 33%. There are some hospitals that are over 40%. Over 40%. Oh, here we go. You ready? Wait. Yeah. In 1970, the nationwide C-section rate was relatively low at about 5% of women undergoing the procedure, according right. to the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. But that national average jumped to 32% mm -hmm. in 2015, a 540% increase over the course of one right. generation. I was going to say 33, so I wasn't far off. You, were, you basically were I exactly right. was basically right. there. Yeah, you were um, right. It's crazy. Why, do, you, do you know why, statistically or for whatever reason, why... 
C-sections took such an uptick? Is it just like, because it, right. like there are obviously has to be a reason if right. it started out with 5%. I'm sure some people are in danger, but at some point it's like, is this laziness? Is it a liability thing that happened? There are a lot of different things. Okay. I don't know personally that sure. there, if there is one specific thing that leads to the rise in cesareans it's more of like a collection of things one factor that could be attributed to the yeah yeah yeah. percent increase um the medical model of care specifically the like doctor like medical doctor model of care is to treat diseases or to treat pathologies or treat Mm -hmm. problems um a nursing model of care is to treat people and treat symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and the midwifery model of care is a combination of like a holistic model as well as the nursing model of treating a whole person and treating the problems that go along with that go mm-hmm. along with that. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as like really looking at at every single patient or client as an individual. Um, so I like to tell my clients that uh, that midwives and doctors have different toolboxes, right? So doctors have a toolbox that's full of medicine and surgery and procedures because that's what they were taught. Mm. And that's may or may not be a flaw in the system, but that just is what it is. Um, Whereas midwives have a toolbox full of Yes, they know those medical interventions, but they were taught that those are not primary. They were taught like if a baby is breech, which means the baby, um, the feet are closer to the vagina than the head. Um, If a baby is breech, there are so many things to do besides just jump to a C-section. So there are positions, there are stretches, there are ways that you can create space. It's like, well, let's figure out why this baby is this way. Yeah. Is the pel- is it because of the, the pelvis shape? Is it because the muscles pressing on the uterus are too tight and the baby can't get into another anatomical position? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of OBs who will look at who will look at situations that way. And there are a lot who will say, there's no other option but a cesarean. Right. Um, and so part of the rise in cesarean sections is doctors are being taught more medicine and less hands-on mm-hmm. interventions. Um, and all of these interventions that are being used in the hospital, such as like inductions um, using medicine that alter our hormonal processes that happen naturally during labor um and kind of mess with them or putting women in different positions or making Mm -hmm. a woman or a birthing person lie on their backs for the entire labor um epidurals can lead to cesarean sections in certain cases um all of these all of these things that are just taught um as the way things are lead to cesarean sections when they're not used purposefully right I'm not a believer. I'm not a believer in the sense of like all of these are dumb. We don't need interventions at all because we do. Yeah. Like inductions are really great when they're medically necessary. Yeah. Epidurals can be really, really incredible tools. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had clients who I don't think they would have had vaginal births without epidurals. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But really it's case by case tools. basis right. for everyone. Right. And the idea that like the three of us sitting in this room all have completely different needs and desires Mm -hmm. and all of the babies that grow in our bodies would be completely different. So the idea that, uh, that childbirth care should 
just be like a one size fits all is yeah. insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what it is now. It, it makes sense to me too that medical care professionals are a little bit removed yeah. from their patients because that's also, I'm sure they're constantly doing, dealing with different patients and right. different symptoms and different things. So like that, that's, they're taught by the textbook. So right. it makes sense to me that there would be a separate emotional, just having friends in, the, right. in nursing where like they almost like can't get emotional. Right. Right. With certain instances, because it's too much for them. Right. And, which I get, it's very demanding and emotionally mm-hmm. traumatic. Right. I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of people come to me and say they want to hire me because they chose a doctor who's impersonal, but really, really good at their job. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they, that's, and that's what matters most to them. Right. And so that's fine with me. Okay. You like fill you in know, that other role. Right. You fill in that other role. Like yeah. you make up for what that doctor is missing yeah. that they require. Right. That and works like as a team right. together. That exactly. kind of makes sense right. to me is that somebody's like, cool, medically, I know everything that's happening with mm-hmm. your body. And the other person's like, cool, how can we make this easier for you right. emotionally with compassion and also like, yeah. And it works out. It works out really well. And I've also had clients who have said, hey, look, I um, chose a provider who has a higher cesarean rate at this hospital that I know has a really high cesarean rate. um, And I want you there to help strike the balance. Mm. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't because it's like at the end of the day, cool. I'm so glad that you have chosen a provider that you feel good about because what is what what I'm hearing in that situation is what's important to you is that an emergency, the possibility of an emergency or the possibility of of mm. danger is something that's going to be on your mind no matter what. And right. being in a very conservative environment makes you feel better and sure. makes you feel safer. So you're hiring me to bring some humanity to that mm-hmm. situation or bring some comfort to that situation. But what they don't understand most of the time is that like, I'm not a magical like birth fairy with a sparkling magic <laughs> wand. Like I kind of really wish I was. Yeah. <laughs> and I like sometimes I've worn completely rainbow outfits to very conservative hospitals. Say. Yeah. Maybe on purpose. <laughs> I was just gonna uh, be like, I kind of want to like get like a posse of doulas and like have them all dress up as like the fairy godmother. Right. right. And I like usually it's also I usually have um really crazy colored hair. It's normal and blonde right now for nursing school. I'm not allowed to have crazy colored hair, but there have been times when it's like right um where i'm in this very very conservative sterile hospital with very conservative doctors and it's just this like person who walks in with bright blue hair in rainbow pants i'll have Um, that one right (laughs) right and sometimes it works really well but other times it's like okay cool I'm glad that you feel great, but I can't prevent you from having a c-section you know what I mean like to a certain extent Clinically, doulas do provide pain relief. Doulas do provide um, comfort. Statistically, if you have a doula, you are about, um, you are 30%, I believe, is less likely to have a Mm C-section. But that, but there are so many, that's really not a fair statistic because there are so many things that go into that. It's like, well, what is if you're having a doula, does that also mean that like you really know your options really well? So you did the work of making the choice to choose a provider who was had a very low C-section rate. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. All of these things are not really fair. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is going back to evidence based practice. It's really hard. It's really hard to figure it all out. Mm-hmm. And sometimes this is just the statistics are really helpful and sometimes they're not because you need a medical degree to wade through all of the muck. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And websites like evidence-based birth, again, are so helpful because it kind of breaks it all down for you. But most people don't know about that stuff. Yeah. And like, understand, like, it's really well and good to have statistics, but to be, you need to, you need to take the time with statistics always to investigate who did the work, who they were studying, what angles they were looking for, who they were maybe funded by. Right. right. And malpractice insurance is really, really high. Yeah. It's really expensive. And a lot of the times too, hospitals don't help the situation because they're businesses. So hospitals right. will give incentives for providers who, and this is not there are places where this is written down and there are places where it's not written, not mm-hmm. written down. Yeah. Um, but it's rumored, I guess you can say, that there are incentives for providers who have X amount of expensive surgeries. I'd believe it. You know, like nitrous oxide is the the laughing gas we get at the mm-hmm. dentist. It's very, very cheap. Yeah. Um, it's very cost effective. It does not make a lot of money. It's really effective for labor. It does not cross <laughs> through uh, the placenta, so it doesn't affect the baby at oh. all. Right. Doesn't affect the baby. And it has a really short half life, which means the amount of time it takes to leave your body once it enters your body is is so it like lasts for a contraction, which is about a minute. Wow. (laughs) Right. So nitrous oxide is being used in uh, places overseas, like really regularly. But not here. But not here. here. It's coming slowly. Mm -hmm. Um, But it doesn't hospitals are not exactly gung-ho because it doesn't make them a lot of money epidurals cost a fuck ton of money yeah right, right. c-sections cost a fuck ton of money yeah. oh my god you know um there it is there's the theory yeah. right i mean we've done this so many times before where we've come at an issue and we live in a capitalist society yeah. and that's the reality of it is that everything is the foundation upon which everything is built is that we are on a market economy mm-hmm. and so everything has to be as return as much of a profit as possible when you have shareholders when you have public you have public companies you have private companies they're they're not there you know they might do good work and they might provide the care but it's but it's still like you said earlier they're selling us something and so they're not only obliged to provide a certain care but they're also obliged to provide a money to whatever institution and whatever shareholders if there might be shareholders yeah i guess it's like progressively getting worse if the cesarean section is like jumping up like that the u.s for a first world country right the maternal mortality rate that we have is is so abysmal yeah it's so bad in in comparison to even a lot of developing countries which is like shameful i believe it's the lowest of the developed it is yeah it is yeah i have a quick uh question yeah I think that the postpartum part is always left out because, you know, women, if they go to hospitals, like after birth, they're kicked out of the hospital so quickly and there's no accommodation, even like considering in the workforce for the time that it takes to recover from the event of having a child and then and then to also work the baby into your life. So what uh, what do you do? What are your what would you consider like your what you do as a post the postpartum part of the doula? Right. And just and also like what we don't know about it, because I feel like that's another thing. People don't talk about pregnancy and people don't talk about after After. pregnancy. So we know nothing. And I feel like for half of our community that can that goes through this and us not knowing it is right. Really scary. And um, Lucy, my sister, Mm -hmm. uh, she's a nurse. And she was saying that maternity, a lot of times maternity mortality rates don't actually include deaths that happen 
post-birth. And they so we're talking about a really high death, maternal death rate, and we're not even considering who dies after the birth. Like, right. and, you know, looking at Serena Williams as an example, yeah. who almost died right. after birth because she wasn't cared for properly and no one would listen to her. Right. So like... Five questions, go. Yeah. All of the questions. <laughs> Thank you so much. Clearly, so. we should have started with this because we're like, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, we don't. I, there's a, um, I think it is Domino Kirk of uh, Carriage House Birth here in Brooklyn. Um, Carriage House Birth is an amazing collective that was formed by three awesome women. Domino Kirk. Lindsay Bliss and Sam Huggins. All great names. That is right? super cute. Wow. Amazing. But they're three really awesome women. And they have, um, I've been a part of Carriage House since 2014 when I did my training. And they um, also now have created their own doula training as mm. well, birth and postpartum training, which awesome. is really wonderful. The postpartum training is done by um, by Erica and Laura, who are really awesome as well. And anyway, Domino Kirk says that we she likens birth and postpartum to like all of the preparation we do for weddings but like no one tells you how to be fucking married mm. <laughs> yeah, no one really tells you point. how to be married that's genius um yeah. and that's and it's so similar like everyone is so focused on like the spectacle of a wedding very much in the way people are so focused on the spectacle of birth mm. and like the spectacle of having a baby shower and like buying you all the shit that like you really don't need mm-hmm. um but no one who's going to come over at three o'clock in the morning and be with you when you're crying and your boobs are leaking milk and they're so sore. They feel like rocks and like your partner has to go back to work because they don't get any time off. So you feel horrible for waking up your partner at three in the morning when they have to get up in two hours. Mm -hmm. It's just like such a broken system and no Mm -hmm. one talks about how to prepare for that because everyone's a fucking wasp right yeah. everything's fine we're fine right it's so great <laughs> having a baby is amazing so fun. it's really it. fun i'm a mess and i smell and haven't showered and haven't eaten but yeah. it's so cute yeah so. <laughs> it pooped on me today right yeah. it's fine i got poop in my mouth um <laughs> i don't think that's ever happened to me actually thankfully Oof. Um, there's still time yeah oh god I just jinxed myself (laughs) Um, is there anywhere that you that people can find you or that you want to find you yeah um, I am on Instagram at baby's breath birth yes Um, that's awesome and I'm a lot more active on my personal Instagram I post all of my birth I post all the same stuff on my personal as well Mm -hmm. um and I'm so much more active because it's easier yeah that way Mm -hmm. (laughs) to choose one yeah 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 for sure um and that is Brie underscore faith cool three e's okay we'll put that in the episode notes too on the episode notes. yeah I post a lot of things about vaginas and birth and placentas and breast milk and (laughs) perfect yeah first I make a slip. Not too long. Careful as to not rip the edges, making what I call the husband's stitch. Then I take two Ziploc bags and I fill them with Amy's organic lentil soup, which I microwave to exactly 98.6 degrees. Not enough to burn you, but just enough to feel warm and inviting. For the end of this episode, Bree's going to tell us a little bit about the husband's stitch. Get ready. You guys want to talk about your type of Janice? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so go. Oh, I have... Um... I don't know how tight my vagina is. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know about mine either. <laughs> um, I there's this thing called a husband stitch. Oh my god! Right, right, oh, right, right. That makes me so mad. Um, which is 
so a husband stitch has been a thing where like if you tear after birth or if they cut you or if they cut you called an episiotomy oh my god that's right no longer routine i didn't know it was called a husband stitch motherfucker so um so husbands would ask like the doctors would like tie them up tighter or husbands would ask ask if they could tie their wives up tighter so they would have a tighter (laughs) vagina Mm -hmm. what are you kidding me fuck you right fuck you right Right. Like and I, I, ha- I had a client who thought that was a real thing. And it's like, right, because we don't have any legitimate information in our society. Mm-hmm. We don't um, have any legitimate information. That's not a thing. Vagina's like, is there a, a thing. Is there a wife penis growth option? <laughs> yes, seriously. Um, seriously. Hey, after my birth, could you make his penis bigger? Yeah. yeah. That'd be great. Thank That'd you. That'd be awesome. wonderful. Or smaller. Or- yeah, depending. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, there or is that. Smaller or not want to work for two months. Yeah, or like more compassionate, you right. know, yeah. <laughs> about the fact that I just gave them a fucking child. Right. right. That's a whole. There. That's a whole other thing. It's so interesting. There are some women who say that their vaginas, they don't feel like their vaginas have changed after birth at all, mm-hmm. and there are some who say that it does feel completely different. Sure. Um, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse, and there's also that's a whole other part of postpartum is like vaginas there are a ton of women who have horribly painful sex for ages after childbirth and they think that's normal Mm -hmm. and they're told that's normal by their provider it is not normal Mm -hmm. it's not normal to grin and bear it right if you have a provider to anyone listening please (laughs) if you have a provider telling you that any pain that you're feeling is normal and you have to deal with it, Mm-mm. please find someone else. Pain please. is not normal. It's not normal. It's not normal. It's your body's way of telling you something is wrong and yep. you can find a provider who will work with you. Oh who, my God. Who will, who will honor the feelings that you're feeling. Yeah, and help crazy. you not feel them. Oh, that's, yeah. we had a, we had a girl, oh, I'm sorry, we had a woman on here who has endometriosis and she had mm-hmm. a gynecologist tell her, oh, if, if sex is painful, you should just have a glass of wine before it. I listened to that episode. Yeah. I couldn't fucking believe it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, crazy. sorry. Also, not even just that before she put a tampon in. Because right. <laughs> the idea that you need to get drunk to put a fucking tampon in is crazy to me. And she has like a super heavy flow. So it would be like right. on the hour. Every hour. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's At that point, just fucking put the tampon in wine and stick it right. up there. Yeah, exactly. Right. Go for it. Parachute. that'll help. <laughs> So I have a really fucked up story. Oh, God. Ready for it. So I um, was sleeping with this guy for a little while who uh, has a kid. He was telling me that his ex used to have really great breasts Mm. until she breastfed their child. And then they weren't great anymore. And was like, I couldn't even look at her vagina anymore. And I was like, what? And he was like, well, he was in the room for the childbirth. And I was like, is it because? Is it because like you saw your kid's head coming out? I was like, so did you like not want to have sex with her ever after that? Because they were together for a period of time. And he was like, just wasn't the same. I'm just not attracted to her anymore. And I was like, that is, you're a disgusting human. I'm now not attracted to you. Yeah, you are horrible. There's There's a movie called Breastfeeding. And there are, there are women on there are women in the movie who say things along those lines of like, I didn't want to breastfeed or I was afraid to breastfeed because I was afraid my husband wouldn't see me as sexual anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of me is like, well, if that's how you feel, then like, it's okay. You don't have to breastfeed. But the other part of me it's is okay, like, you don't need that husband. System. It's right. okay. You don't need that up. husband. Right. Yeah, seriously. Right. 
you only have value if you have a baby and then after you have a baby you're not valued for what you used to be as attractive i mean it took us until what like this last year for women breastfeeding their children to be allowed in public places and on the internet without being taken down right but like but that goes to that just goes to it which is that like breasts are really only baby or not they're really only there for sexual reasons yeah, and if they're right. not sexual if, they, if they're not found sexual or attractive mm-hmm. then there's no point to them being there anymore yeah. i right. don't want to see your human food machine yeah right. exactly that you're right. using to feed my my baby right yeah <laughs> yeah that i just deposited some shit and you did everything else right we're the architects <laughs> i love that we, we are, are the architects build something <laughs> i love it um Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thanks for Thank coming. Thank you so much for having you have to come me. Back, I have so many yeah. more yeah. questions. Yes, we can talk about placentas and eating them. Oh my oh, god! Yes, right? Can we please, yes. I really do want to talk about yes. this. Okay, cool. This was only part one. We're yeah, definitely going to talk about that. Yeah, There's so many things. There's We're just so going to schedule you. Great, great. Awesome, awesome, great. You ready? Yes. We can uh, just do it. Thank you for listening to Welcome to My Vagina. It's time for us to slide on out of here. It never gets less gross. <laughs> Make sure to rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcast. Oh my God, please rate and review us, please. It really helps. It helps so much. Do we sound desperate yet? Because we are. A little bit. A little bit desperate. If you love us, then you'll write about us. You can also check us out on Instagram at Welcome to My Vagina. On Twitter at Welcome to My Vag. Uh, at YouTube, you can just type in Welcome to My Vagina. And send us an email at welcometomyvagina.com. We also have an email. If you want to email us questions, we're totally down to answer them at welcometomyvagina.com. Uh, I'm going to not <laughs> correct my myself. Just, you know, you get it. Vagina. Check out all of Rebecca's musings at franklyrebecca.com. And make sure to check out all of the other awesome content at More Banana. Yeah. Thanks, Caitlin. She's our producer. Okay, thanks. Bye. See you next Tuesday.